jump into our message this morning, I want to give one quick commercial before uh, all of the announcements and things. I don't want to get lost. We have a book that, uh, that I ordered in, and uh, I don't know why we didn't have this in our, in our bookstore sooner, um, but uh, we've got a few more that are coming in, and if you'd be interested in picking them up, you can. Uh, I know I don't do a lot of commercials for our bookstore, for our resource center, but if you haven't stopped in there in a while and checked it out, make sure you stop in there and check it out. We're trying to add things in there uh, often, but one new book that, that we're getting, uh, that, that I've ordered in, we're getting some more, is this book called God's Prophetic Blueprint. If maybe, uh, I know for me, for, for years, I struggled with, well, what, what does the Bible say about what's going to happen in the future? What's, what's the Bible have to say about these things? And I had the, the opportunity to hear a preacher uh, by the name of Shelton Smith, no, not Shelton, Bob Shelton, uh, uh, Bob Shelton uh, preach uh, some time ago. Now, Bob Shelton since has gone on to be with the Lord, um, and, uh, but he, he knew Bible prophecy probably as good or better than anyone that I had ever heard speak, and uh, he wrote a book. Book on on what the Bible has to say makes it very simple about the last days and what's going to happen during the tribulation period, what's going to happen after the tribulation period, and he put it together in a book that's about a hundred pages long, a little more than a hundred pages long. And so, if you want a simple, this doesn't dive super deep into things. If you want a simple overview of uh, maybe what's going to happen uh, in the the last days and the tribulation period, things that are going to be coming up, I'd encourage you pick up this book. We got them in there; they're ten bucks a piece, and so make sure that you grab uh, one of those. And if we run out today, we've got some more that are coming in this week, and we'll make sure and have those, make those available. Uh, but I'm telling you, this, this was probably one of the most helpful books when it came to Bible prophecy, and I know it'll be a blessing to you like it was to me. All right, Jonah chapter number 3 is where we are this morning. Jonah 2, rather, Jonah 2. We're going to look at the last verse of Jonah chapter number 2. We've been in the book of Jonah now for a number of weeks, and we're going to continue in our study this morning as we've been walking through the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter number 2. Look with me if you would at verse number 10. We're going to read the passage and then we're going to pray after that and uh, dive into God's word together this morning. Jonah chapter number 2, look with me at verse number 10. The Bible says this, and God saw, no, excuse me, verse number 10 of chapter 2, and the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son the second time saying, arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I Bid thee. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity. Give us to open your word for a few moments. And Lord, as we dive into it this morning, as we think about these verses, God, what an encouragement it is to me. And God, I just pray that we'd be reminded of some wonderful truths in the scriptures this morning. I pray, God, that you'd help us to focus our attention for a few moments. I know, God, that there's a lot of things on our brains, things that are coming up, things that are going on, maybe even today at the end of the service and tomorrow and, and, and throughout this week. But I pray for a few moments to help us bring our thoughts into captivity and be able to focus on you and focus on your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are high and that you are lifted up. And God, I pray that this morning that we would honor you. God, that we would uh, please you with everything that's said and done. I pray, God, that as a church, we'd have a renewed passion uh, for you today because we've been in the services today. Thank you, God, for the story of Jonah. And God, what, a, what an incredible account that it is. And Lord, sometimes it's easy for us to forget that it's real. These things really happened. And God, I pray that today that as we look at this truth, Lord, that we would see ourselves in the life of Jonah, see these wonderful promises and God, that you'd help us to live our lives in a greater way for what we see today. Thank you, God, for what you've already done, what you're going to do. And God, we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As a teenager, one of my favorite pastimes with some of my friends was to go golfing. Now, I know that sounds like kind of a silly thing, but our mentality was this. Whenever you're, you know, in your 60s, when you're in your 70s, most people in their 60s and 70s aren't out playing football. Most aren't, you know, out playing basketball. Most people aren't out playing soccer or some other sport. But one sport that they do play is golf, okay? And so I thought, you know what, as a teenager, I'm going to get a head start so that by the time I'm, you know, 60, 70 years old, I'll be better than the rest of my friends. Now, the truth is, is golf's the most frustrating sport in the entire world, and eventually you just throw your clubs away. But anyway, uh, you know, we, we, we started playing golf, and we were blessed because we had a, a golf course down the road from us that was, I mean, it, it, it called itself a golf course. Uh, it, I mean, if, if you've ever seen a golf course, the fairway, which is the part between where you hit the ball initially and the, the hole, uh, had trees scattered throughout it. And so it, was, it wasn't really too much of a, of a normal golf course, but we would go there and we'd, we'd play golf. And, and whenever we'd play golf, we would uh, we'd get up there, and, you know, of course, you know, we've got the big club first, the driver, and you get up there and you swing it. And I have a slice, and so every time it would go over this way, so I'd always turn my body like this, the hole would be over there. That way it would, you know, land somewhere in the general direction we're supposed to go. Uh, and, and we'd go and we'd play and we'd do these things. But, but there was one part of the game of golf that as we played together that uh, often was implemented in our little games of golf. It was this little thing called a mulligan. Okay, what was a mulligan? Well, a mulligan is a do-over. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a, okay, well, that was a bad shot. I think I'll do this again. And, and it was amazing because, I mean, we would do this, we'd call a mulligan five or six times on a single hole. It was incredible. And, uh, you know, and, and so, you know, you take that ball and you drop it and you'd hit that ball and you say, oh man, that was a terrible shot. I think I'll take my mulligan. And they say, you already took one. Yeah, don't worry about it. And so we drop another ball and, and we go and we hit the ball again. And, and then, oh yeah, that's much better. And we go to that one. And, and, uh, and half of the game of golf was just trying to find the balls that we had lost as we played. And, uh, you know, but that was, that was a big part of golf in my life. Now you get a little bit older and you play with people that are more serious and they won't let you take mulligans on every shot, which is not as much fun. And uh, your score goes way up. But, I mean, that was, that was a crucial, a big part of mulligans, a do-over, a second chance. All of us want, desire second chances. When you're a teenager, you are constantly begging your parents for another chance, right? I mean, like you're constantly, oh, mom and dad, I'm sorry. Uh, can I try again? Mom and dad, oh, oh I, I'm sorry that I did that, you know, that thing that I wasn't supposed to do. I'm sorry that I drove the car and did, left it empty. I'm sorry that, that, I, that I went out with those, those friends that I wasn't supposed to go out. Uh, can, can I have another chance, you know? That's, that's a normal part of our life. At some point, many of us, we, we, we eventually met somebody that we, oh, we fell in love with, right? And, and uh, you know, it, it was incredible how... How they were perfect and, and we were perfect and, and everything was perfect and then you get married and then suddenly you found out they're not perfect and, uh, and, and, and they found out more importantly that you're not perfect and, and, and I found out in my marriage that there was a lot of time spent saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Will you give me a, another chance? You know, can I have a mulligan in life, right? You know, and uh, you know, we, we spend a lot of time asking that. Can I, can I have another chance? Can I, can I do this again? We all can look back on our lives and we would find points in our life that we look back and say, man, I wish I could have a, a mulligan. I wish I could have a, a do-over, a second chance in that situation. At that point in our life. Maybe it was a decision, like we said, whenever you were only a teenager. Maybe it was a little bit later in your life and, and you made some decisions. Maybe they were poor decisions. Maybe they were dumb decisions. Uh, and, and you look back and say, man, I'm, I, I wish I could do that 
again. Uh, we, we, whenever we were a youth pastor, I often taught our teenagers uh, that uh, scientifically our brains, uh, we, we have gray matter in the front part of our brains until we're about 25 years old. That's why uh, teenagers and, and young people in early 20s make so many dumb decisions because their brains are not fully developed. And I'll never forget Allie Nielsen. Karen's not here this morning, but, but Allie Nielsen, whenever she was in our youth group, she came to Tress and I. She said, will you be my gray matter? Will you be my prefrontal cortex and help us to make, uh, make the right decisions? Why? Because they didn't want to make, make mistakes. Mistakes that they went back and, and, and said, man, I, re, I regret that. But the truth is, is all of us have times in our life that we look back on and we say, man, I wish I, wish I had a, a second chance. Maybe for some you think back and, and, and you can look back on that last conversation that you had with someone that you didn't realize was, was going to be your last conversation. And you look back and think, man, I wish I had... A second chance. I remember whenever I was in Bible college, there in my dorm room, and, and uh, it was during a, a week and some, strong, some really intense testing and things, and I got a phone call from my Uncle Mark, and I, I didn't answer it because I was studying, I was doing stuff, and, and he left a message. It was kind of unusual. He never called me. It was, it was kind of strange, and I remember he left that message, and, and uh, I, I listened to that message, and hey, Kyle, I don't really need anything. I know you're busy, but I just want you to know I'm proud of you, and I want you to keep serving the Lord, and I'm just, I'm just thankful for the direction of your life. And I mean, that's, that's what an encouragement, but kind of a strange message. And then the next day, I got a phone call from my dad that my uncle Mark had taken his own life. You know, there were many times in my life that I looked back and I said, man, I wish I had a second chance. I wish I could have picked up that phone. I wish I would have answered. I wish I would have called him back right away. I didn't just wait a little bit later. I wish that I could do it again. We all think back to conversations, to situations, to decisions that we made in our life that we say, man, I wish I had a do-over. You know, the truth is this. For all of us, there's no question. There are times that we would come to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I wish I had a second chance. God, you know I screwed up. God, you know I failed. You know that I've gotten so far away from where I'm supposed to be. God, I, I'm, I, just, I just need a second chance. Jonah had spent three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. We, we saw just a couple of weeks ago as Jonah finally cried out after three days. He began in, in, in chapter number three and, or chapter number two and we began working through. We saw Jonah as he came to the Lord after three days and three nights in the belly of this, this fish at the bottom of the ocean. And, and, and in verse number nine, we saw that, that prayer where he finally just said, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. He finally just came to that point where he said, God, I am sorry I have failed. Will you forgive me? God, I, 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 I give you what I said I would give you my life. And he said, God, I don't know if you're going to deliver me or not, but I know this, my life is in your hands. And, and he had no idea what God was, was going to do after that. For all he knew, he was going to die at the bottom of the ocean, the belly of a fish. But as we know, we have verse number 10. 
The Bible tells us, and we see the mercy and grace of God, as the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Can you imagine what this scene must have been like? We were just obviously down in Florida. We spent some time on the beach. And as we were talking this morning at Sunday school, most of the time that we were there, it rained. Uh, but we were able to go out at night whenever it stopped raining. And the kids were able to play on the beach. I can just, can you just imagine what this must have been like? I mean, I mean, here we are out there building sandcastles with our kids in the dark. And all of a sudden, a whale pops up on the beach and, bleh, and out pops this slimy man. I mean, like screaming. Okay, that's what would have happened. I mean, like that would have been absolutely terrifying. But that's exactly what happened. And for anybody that says, yeah, that's impossible. That didn't actually happen. There have been people and reports over the past couple of years of people being swallowed by fish and being spit out a couple of hours or time later. Listen, this really happened. Jonah spit out there on the dry land, covered in the slime, covered in the, the filth of being in the belly of that fish for three days. And it's then that we arrive at verse number one of chapter number three. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. All the way back in Jonah chapter number one, verses one and two, the Bible told us, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. God had given a commission to Jonah to go, to preach, to have a purpose for his life. But for the next 15 verses, it's filled with Jonah doing everything that he can to run from the presence and the call of God. God, to flee from the Lord three days in the belly of that fish before Jonah even came to that point where he even prayed to God. There is no question that God could have used other prophets to fulfill his mission, fulfill his purpose. We talked the first week about how Hosea and Amos were contemporaries of Jonah. They lived right there along with him. God could have said, all right, Jonah, you're done. You're staying at the bottom of the ocean. I've got Hosea. I've got Amos over here. I'll call up another prophet. God could have done that. Yet God's mercy is on full display in verse number one. When God spoke to Jonah the second time, it was not deserved, it was not earned, but God in his mercy gave Jonah a second chance. Psalm 136 was a chapter that we would often recite and go to whenever I was a counselor at camp growing up. Why? Because for every verse that the kids memorized or said from, from uh, repetition, uh, that they would get a point. And so we wanted as many points as we could get for our team. So we would sit there and we say, all right, hey, repeat this verse. And we would say a verse, they would say it back, and, and then obviously that meant it was committed to their memory. And, and so then we would chalk it down as a point. Really, it's cheating, but that's what we would do, okay? And so we'd memorize Bible verses. And Psalm 136 was the staple that everybody went to. Why? Because Psalm 136, over and over and over again for 20 six verses begins with a statement and then the last part of that verse simply says for his mercy endureth forever 
Over and over again, it would say, okay, the, the Lord does this, the Lord does that. This happens, the, 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 this, this, and this, and this. Oh, a little sentence here. For His mercy endureth forever. For 26 verses, over and over and over and over and over again. Why would God repeat that same phrase over and over again in 26 verses? Because if there's one thing that you get, don't miss that our God is a merciful God. The story of the prodigal son is, is a familiar story for most people that have been in church for, for any length of time. It's found in Luke chapter number 15. The Bible tells us that there was a father and, and he had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Divided into them his living. The, the younger son comes to the father and it, he looks at his dad and he literally says, give me my inheritance. What was he saying? He was looking at his dad and he said, dad, I wish that you were dead. Give me what I would get if you were dead. That's what he's saying. Give me the portion of the inheritance. Follow it to me. It goes on. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there he wasted. That's where that word prodigal comes from. It has the idea of wasting. He wasted his substance with riotous living. I mean, I'm telling you, he was living it up in the world. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. He began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him to a field, now don't miss this, to feed swine. Jesus, as he's telling this story, he's telling it to a Jewish group. He's telling it to the Pharisees. He's telling it to the scribes. The Pharisees and the scribes, Jews, uh, were not allowed to have anything to do with swine. That was considered, it's considered a dirty, just a nasty. They, they were not supposed to have anything to do with pigs. There, I mean, nothing to do with it. So for this Jewish boy to go and to feed swine... I mean, that was like the worst of the worst. I mean, not only did he go to his dad and say, I wish that you were dead. Not only did he go and live up his life and just totally waste everything that was given to him. Then he goes and now he's feeding swine. And about that time, Jesus is telling this parable and, and the Pharisees and the scribes are, oh, that's disgusting. I just can't even imagine doing such a thing. Jesus takes it a step further in verse number 16. And he would have... Fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave to him. Listen, about the time where they're, I mean, they are just about sick because of this story, Jesus speaks and he says, Listen, not only was he feeding swine, after the swine ate all of the food, he would come in and he'd pick up that little rind that was left and he'd try to eat what the pigs left behind. Oh, what a disgusting story. I mean, the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes there, oh, I mean, you can almost see the, the sickness on their faces as they listen to this story. This boy was as far away from where he was supposed to be as possible. He had not only cursed his father, taken everything that he was supposed to have, wasted his life, now he was living this filthy, dirty life right there with the pigs. Oh, you, I mean, they just couldn't even imagine. But verse number 17 is, is the crux of the story. It's the turning point. The Bible tells us this, and when he came to himself, 
He said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise. I will go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He says, I know dad won't take me back. I know what I've done. I see where I am. He says, man, he's got servants that have so much better than I do. And I see now just how good I had it before. I'm going to try to go back to him and say, Dad, please. I'm not your, I know I'm not your son. I'm not even worthy to be called that. But, Dad, would you, will you just at least let me serve you? Verse number 20, and he rose and came to his father. I love this. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him. Had compassion. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, I mean, he pulled out his three-point outline. Father, point number one. I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. Point number two. And I am no more worthy to be called thy son. And about the time he was going to say, make me as one of thy hired servants. The father wraps his arms around him and squeezes his neck so tight. He couldn't even get it out. The father said to his, said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. And put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be married. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. What an incredible picture of a loving father that was willing to take back his wandering, evil, wicked son and give him a second chance. What mercy. What grace. But what is the limit to God's mercy? I mean, surely there is a point. I mean, yes, this was the father's son. So clearly there was, there was a connection there. Clearly there was a relationship there that was previously established. And so, yes, while it, it's hard to imagine this father taking back his son, I mean, it's not beyond the realm of possibility for God to stretch out his arms, for the father to stretch out his arms and to bring back in his own child. What, but what is the, the limit to God? mercy. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because there's another man in the scripture that gives us a little bit of insight. In 1 Kings, we learn about a man by the name of, of Ahab. He was the most wicked king Israel had ever had. In 1 Kings chapter number 16, verse 30, listen what the Bible says. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And verse number 33 goes on and says, And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Ahab was a wicked, wicked, wicked king. We remember Ahab... In part, because of who his wife was. Good old Jezebel. (laughs) 
How many Jezebels do you know, right? I mean, we, there's not very many Jezebels, okay? Why? Because she was a wicked, evil woman. I mean, what a pair. Ahab and Jezebel, this wicked couple, this wicked king and his wicked, evil wife. I mean, what an evil team. We remember Ahab, the story of, of, of Elijah coming on the scene and, and Elijah coming to, to Ahab and Ahab saying, hey, you're the one that troubles Israel. It hasn't rained here for three and a half years. And, 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 and Elijah coming to, to, to him and saying, no, 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 it's not me, it's you. And, and we remember the, the incredible story. He said, all right, he said, we're going to figure out who is the true God, whether it's your God of the groves, whether it's, it's, it's your God that you're serving and your people are serving, or if it's the true God of Israel. And we remember they went up on Mount Carmel and, and there they were on that mountain and all the prophets of the grove, they start calling out to Bell and hey, hey, pour down fire from heaven and they're cutting themselves and they're crying out loud and they're screaming and all these different things and Elijah's over there on the side and he's going, oh, maybe you need to yell a little louder. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's off on a journey. Maybe he's going playing. Maybe he's doing, doing something else. And yeah, he, he, just can't, he just can't hear you. Maybe you should do it a little bit louder. I mean, they're screaming. They're yelling and finally Elijah said, alright guys, it's enough. Have a seat. It's my turn. He stands up there and the Bible tells us that he repairs the altar of the Lord that was broken down and he builds that back up. And he says, hey, go fill some buckets of water. I mean, water was a scarcity. And so they go and they fill up the buckets of water. They pour it in the trenches and they go fill up another one. They pour it on the sacrifice. They go and fill up some more and they pour it on there again a third time. And and finally, Elijah, he bows down before all the people and he prays and he says, God, it's not because of me. But God, will you show these people that you are God? And I'm your servant. Oh, what a story. I mean, like one of these days when we get to heaven, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to pull the VHS off the shelf, and I'm going to put it in there. I don't know if it'll be a VHS or not, but I mean, listen, I'm watching this one, okay? I mean, there he is, God. Will you just show that you are the true God? And man, the fire comes down. And it, I mean, this was a hot fire. It consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the wood. It licked up the water that was in there. The stones that were there, it turned to dust. Oh, and everybody that was standing there is like, yeah, he's, he's, the, he's got the true one. And, and at the end of the passage, good old Ahab still standing by. And you can almost see him with his, his lip pouted out. I mean, he's upset. I mean, like he was he he made was made to look really dumb. He goes back home. He cries to his wife. Oh, you just you see what he did to me, everybody know what I mean. And, and you say, Kyle, that's not in there. Well, it's not. It's kind of in between the chapters 18 and 19, because we see what Jezebel does next. She says, I'm gonna kill Elijah. I mean, like she, he he made my dad, my husband look bad. I'm taking his life, and then we have the story. Uh, all this. Listen, Ahab was a wicked, wicked king. The Bible tells us more wicked than any king that had ever lived. That 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 he troubled Israel more than any other king that had ever lived. But finally, the day came when Elijah pronounced judgment on Ahab himself. We find some of that prophet's announcement. Pronouncement in, in 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 23 through 26. It says, in, of Jezebel also spake the Lord. Elijah is speaking here. The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. If you read, that's exactly what happened. In verse number 24, 
Him that dieth of Ahab in the city that dogs shall eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. But there is none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to the work of the wickedness side of God, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominable, abominably in following idols according to all things, as did the Amorites who the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. I mean, he's just, Elijah is just unloading on Ahab. He's like, you are the most wicked person that has ever lived, and you have totally corrupted all of Israel, and your wife's going to be eaten by dogs, and everybody that follows you is going to be eaten by dogs I mean it's just I mean he's just getting on him and like right then we're like yes I mean like vengeance you know this is great God's gonna just tear him to pieces but what's listen the most incredible part of this story is what takes place next some of the most stunning verses in the entire Bible 1st Kings chapter 21 verse 27 and it came to pass when Ahab heard those words, this wicked, ungodly, evil king, he rent his clothes, put on sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. I mean, he was, he was humbling himself. This wicked, idolatrous, evil king humbles himself before God. Now listen, if I'm God, I'm not, but if I'm God in this situation, I'm saying, get up, I don't care what you do, you're burning, boy. I mean, you're done, you're toast. Boom, lightning, done. But what happens next is unbelievable. In fact, it's so unbelievable, the first time I heard a preacher preach on this, I I sat there and I like flipped and I'm like, is this the same Ahab that we're talking about here? This can't be. Verse number 28, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, I mean, Elijah at this point, I mean, he's just a rough and tough guy. I mean, like, at this point, he's like, all right, what do you want me to do, God? I mean, you want me to, like, say, go stand by the wall, because right now you're going down and getting eaten by the dogs. Right now. I mean, like, I mean, can you, I mean, Elijah is, like, ready. I mean, he, after all of that on Mount Carmel, I mean, he went out with a sword, and he's cutting half 400 prophets of the groves and prophets of Baal. I mean, like, he's a man's man. He's a tough guy. Verse number 29, God speaks. It says, Elijah, seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring evil in his days. But as in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. You know what happens here? This is just stunning. The most wicked, evil king of all of Israel and he, he humbles himself before God and God says because he humbled himself I'm not going to bring judgment upon him now listen judgment's still going to there's going to be consequences but I'm going to give him mercy he deserves judgment he deserves all the pronouncement that you just gave Elijah but because he humbled himself I'm going to show him mercy. God gave Ahab a second chance. And when Jonah called out to God, after all that he had done, he didn't deserve it. God called to Jonah a second time. You know, the truth is, is most of us are more like Jonah than we would care 
to admit. God speaks to you, but, but you're not listening. If you aren't listening, you don't like what you hear, so you try to ignore it. Most Christians won't make a holy grunt in a service, let alone actually respond to God and His Word. That's just the truth. Most of us are so comfortable with where we are that we don't like it when a message is preached, when the Holy Spirit pricks our heart, that we've gotten to the place that we've said no so many times that our heart has hardened to the point that we don't even feel conviction anymore. And what a scary place to be. Most of us are like a two-year-old with God. The only word that you know to say is no. No. No, God God convicts. God speaks. God, God pricks your heart. No. No, God, I'm not doing that. No, I, I'm not listening. <laughs> no, not for me. For many, unfortunately... It's going to take getting thrown into the waves and swallowed by a whale of trials before it gets your attention. We've said it many times here, but the very definition of being backslidden is if there's ever been a time in your life that you were closer to God than you are right now. And friend, if that's you, can I tell you, he's he's calling to you a second time. His mercy is so real. The same mercy that he gave to Jonah. The same mercy that we saw in the life of the prodigal. The same mercy that he gave to an undeserving king king named Ahab is the same merciful God that is extending out his mercy and grace to you today. God wrote Psalm 136 as a reminder for you. His mercy endureth forever. Listen, there could be someone in this room today and God has spoken to you because you aren't on your way to heaven. You have no guarantee that there will be another opportunity. You have no promise that, listen, tomorrow that you are going to wake up and the Bible has told us that if we don't deal with our sins, that there is a punishment for them. The wage of sin, the payment for our sin is death, eternity in a lake of fire. What terrible news that is. Because all of us are sinners. The Bible tells us, and your wife will tell you as well. Listen, every one of us. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Why? To to pay the payment, the wage for you. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you're sitting in a seat this morning or maybe you're watching online, listen, friend, you can accept Christ today. The Bible tells us that if we will call upon the name of the Lord, if we will believe in our heart that Christ not only died, but He rose again the third day, the Bible tells us that we can be saved from our sins. And maybe you're here this morning and you have heard messages like this over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Maybe you could tell the story of salvation better than I could. 
but you've never received it for yourself. Can I tell you this morning, God is calling to you a second time. And you don't have a guarantee that it's gonna, you're going to have another opportunity. No matter who you are today, there are a few things that we could learn from the life of Jonah. As we finish up this morning, I want you to understand this. God waited to speak to Jonah until he was ready to listen. God didn't speak to Jonah when he was headed down to Joppa. He didn't speak to Jonah when he boarded the ship. He didn't speak to Jonah when he was down in the belly of that ship or when he was thrown into those waves that were crashing against the ship. He didn't speak to Jonah on night one in the belly of that fish. He didn't speak to him on night two in the belly of that fish. He didn't speak to him on night three in the belly of that ship, the belly of that, that, that fish. No, God waited until Jonah got things right in chapter number two. Until he came to God in verse number 9 and said, God, I am yours and my salvation is in your hands. They got spit him up on the land and called to him a second time. Friend, when was the last time that you heard God speak to your heart? God pricked your soul. And if it's been a while, maybe it's because you're not ready to listen. The Bible tells us that we can put things in between us and God that breaks our relationship with Him. The thing that goes between us is iniquity or sin. In Psalm 66, verse number 18, the Bible says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Can I tell you, the Lord won't hear me, and He won't speak to you either. Silence. And radio silence with God is a bad place to be. Maybe this morning you haven't heard his voice for a while because you've allowed something to get between you and him. Just like Jonah, maybe you're, you're running away from him. Maybe you're just at that place where you've just put your foot down and said, No, God, I'm not doing that. I'm not dealing with those things. And God says, Okay, well, I'll just wait for you. And this morning, if there's something between you and God, I'd encourage you to get it right today. He'll wait to speak until you're ready to listen. What's incredible is when God spoke, his word didn't change. Look at verse number two, chapter number three. God finally speaks to Jonah and he says, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. When Jonah got right with God, God spoke to Jonah, and his message didn't change. God told Jonah, go do what I told you to do. Go preach the message that I told you to preach. Jonah, I'm not done with you. I still have a purpose. I still have a plan for you. Praise God. He gave Jonah a second chance. He called to Jonah a second time, and his message didn't change. Friend, maybe you're here today, and you're thinking, I don't know what God wants from me. I've been there. I know how that is. God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? What, what do you want? 
I think I'll just sit here and just wait until I hear from you. And, and listen, there's, there's nothing wrong with waiting on God, but just sitting and waiting, there is a problem there. Listen, this morning, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't know what God wants from me, I've got great news. Great news, breaking news for you this morning. Because like the prophets of old, I am going to tell you what God has for you. Listen, everybody's ears just perked up. I mean, it's like, wow, you're going to tell me? Yeah, I'm going to tell you. Listen, okay. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark chapter number 16, verse number 15. The Great Commission for you and for me. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. What was God telling Jonah to do in verse number 2 of chapter number 3? He said, go. And listen, friend, the message has not changed in 2,000 years from when Christ uttered it. We just aren't obeying that command. Well, listen, we, we make a decision that, okay, yeah, you know, as a teenager, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do what God has called me to do to, to go and tell people. Or we go through a little phase where, where we have a little bit of revival in our life and we say, okay, yeah, I'm going to tell somebody where a message is preached and we get a little bit of conviction. We go, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. And, and then we do it for a little while and then we say, man, you know, I think that's probably good enough. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm good. But here's the problem. Isaiah... Isaiah asked a question that I think is good for us to to listen to and to hear the response to it. Isaac, last week as he was preaching, he was talking about Isaiah there in the presence of God in Isaiah chapter number 6. And and as he he came and he saw the Lord high and lifted it up and his train filled the temple and and the seraphim cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And and, and, I mean, just this awesome situation, this awesome place. And and Isaiah is so, so, so touched by this that he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the the glory of the Lord. I've, I've seen the Lord of hosts. And then we come to that familiar verse in verse number 8. Isaiah says also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. And, and listen, if you've never been in that place, that's where you need to be this morning. Listen, the voice of the Lord's calling. Maybe a second time, maybe a third time, maybe a fifth time. Listen, he's calling today and saying, Listen, you need to be willing to go. You say, Go where? Just go anywhere. Tell somebody about Christ. But, but here's the next part. Listen, because oftentimes we stop at verse number 8. Listen to verse number 9. He said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and convert it, and, and be healed. He says, go and preach to them. Go! I mean, they're probably not going to listen. Their ears are going to be closed. But go! And then Isaiah asked the, the, the question that we asked. Lord, how long? <laughs> God, how long do I have to do this? Okay, I mean, like, when can I stop? When can I, when can I quit? God, I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. God, I don't want to tell anybody else. God, I don't want to. I'm just uncomfortable. God, please help me. I don't want to keep putting God, how long do I have to do this? And God says, okay, let me tell you. 
Until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, as the houses without man, the land be utterly desolate, and, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. What does he say? He says, let me tell you, Isaiah, this is how long. Until there is no one else to tell. That's how long. Has there ever been a time in your life that you were closer to God than you are right now? I'd say for most of us, we could look back. We could say, yeah, I remember here at this meeting. I I remember here when I got saved. I remember at this point where God's word was just so real. It was so rich. And I was just just close to God. Yeah. And by your own admission, and by definition, you are backslidden. You know, we don't know how long it took for Jonah to get down to Joppa, how much time really he spent on that boat before he was cast into the sea. Three days and three nights it took before he was spit back up on the land. But I know that in a city the size of Nineveh, there could have been over 600,000 people, that there were people during that period of time that died and went to hell. And friend, you have no idea how many people are going to spend eternity in a lake of fire because you reject the voice of God a second time. Maybe later. Maybe next time. Oh, friend, wake up today. Hear the voice of God this morning. He's calling you a second time. Are you ready to listen? Or is there something in your life that you need to take care of? The message has not changed. But maybe your obedience to God and your burden for souls has. Has there ever been a time in your life that you were closer to God than you are right now? And if the answer is yes, then I've got good news. The voice of the Lord is calling to you a second time. And I hope that you will choose to answer. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed this morning as we conclude.